that was a pretty powerful experience, if you will, uh, because to that point, I, I had felt like I had, was scrounging every penny I could to try and creatively put together a deal. And now I actually had what in my mind was some you know, real money, $140,000 to be able to go out and buy another asset. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by RealBlueSpruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam, AAA Adams. And today we are going to get into a really interesting story with Joel Florek. And Joel uh, has purchased six properties so far, and he started when he was just 22 years old. So over, over the last uh, five-ish years, he's he's been able to do uh, a little more than one of these properties per year on average. Um, Joel is the founder of JFH Capital, and his multifamily investment company focuses on key markets within Indiana and Michigan as well, along with partnerships for deals outside of that region. Joel started investing by house hacking a four unit right out of college. So when he was 22 years old, he bought this four unit. I'm going to allow him to give you a little bit more of that story of how he got in with none of his own money down and how he's been able to snowball that into the hundred plus units that he's general partner on and 30 plus of those right now he owns free all by himself without other partners but i want to get into a little bit more of this information and i think it's going to inspire you a little bit to realize that you can do this business you can do it even if you're 22 and you're listening to this there's a way for you to hop right in and within just a few years be cash flowing plenty of money. I don't know if Joel wants to talk about how, uh, how much he's cash flowing, but it's more than a lot of folks are doing. And the only business that I understand that he's focused on is the real estate and that he's been doing for the last few years. In 2019, Joel decided to scale up this business by using a syndication model. So after several years of doing it a different way, he decided to really scale into the syndication model. He's going to tell you a little bit about that and his fifth deal, the uh, 15 units in Charleston, Indiana. And he partnered also in that 107 unit as a KP in Louisville, Kentucky. JFH Capital owns and manages in-house 46 units uh, at $3 million in asset value, and he's currently focused on acquiring assets of 80 units and more. Uh, Again, he started when he was 22 years old, and I can't wait for you to hear his story. So, Joel Florek, did I miss anything in your bio? Uh, No, I think you hit it. Uh, Chesterton, Indiana. Chesterton. Um, What did I say? Uh, I I believe Charleston. Charleston. Okay, well. Chesterton's over in the Chicago limit. All right, yeah, not Charleston. Charleston as well. Got it. Thank you. I'm glad you. I'm glad you corrected me right live on air. And now everyone knows Adam must be dyslexic because he skipped right (laughs) past that and assumed the wrong word. Um. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that first four unit. So you were just getting out of college, and I know your your parents. They were in real estate and. Uh, you were you were saying to yourself, I want a house hack a four unit, or or how did that go down? 
Yeah. So as you mentioned, my parents were in real estate growing up, uh, flipping and occasionally hanging on to single family or small multifamily was something that they did. And we moved almost every year and remodeled the houses while we lived in them. So um, I was a pretty handy guy, you know, as a young kid learning from my mom, learning from my dad, especially uh, on that front. But for them, it was just kind of a side gig. It was never a business. It was never something that they kind of put together a plan and tried to go out and act. Uh, at the same time, kind of your typical middle-class family throughout their whole life trying to work their way up. Um, so financially, while, you know, I certainly don't want to say, you know, we were poor, um, money was never an abundant thing for our family. Uh, there were always financial stresses growing up. And I knew for myself financial independence was something that I wanted to create in my life as soon as I could. I mean, I really wanted in my 20s to become financially independent. That was a primary goal. So when I went off to college, I studied finance. Why? Because I wanted to understand money better. How do businesses look at money? Um, how do they analyze it? What have you? And from that standpoint, uh, learned a lot about underwriting. Um, financing, uh, you know, mortgages, loans, all that kind of stuff. Um, so when I got my first job offer uh, as a program manager for an engineering company, the goal was that, hey, I'd love to be able to go out and buy a small multifamily property. For me, the multifamily idea made the most sense. I looked at who in real estate made the kind of wealth that I wanted to create as well as be able to have a business that provided the lifestyle um, that I thought was most interesting. And it was always the people who owned the large apartment complexes in my hometown. So I figured, well, you know, maybe I can't go out and buy, you know, two, three, four, 500 units now, but I could start out with four units. Uh, and uh, very fortunate that my parents helped me with the down payment. Uh, they also co-signed on the loan, went and got a, uh, the bank financed 80% in that community. It was a local community bank, uh, got from the commercial side of the business. So um, didn't have to deal with the red tape, if you will, of uh, Fannie or Freddie backed uh, small residential mortgages. So it was a loan that would be capped in-house. And for me, the goal was hopefully be able to build a relationship with the commercial side uh, of the bank so that. If another deal came up, uh, we might be able to work together. And uh, as you know, you know, 10 months later, a 16-unit property came up uh, that had the opportunity to work with. So it's uh, good that I had that bank relationship. Okay, so this first unit, the first four unit that you purchased, um, you were able to do it with none of your own money down. You got an 80% loan, and then you also um, got a loan from family members on the 20%. How did you pay the 20% back? Yeah, so I actually still pay uh, my parents 8% uh, annually uh, interest on the money. So they're happy with uh, that investment. It's a nice little investment for them. And at the same time, they were able to kickstart my career. So I'm okay. forever indebted to them. So it's an interest-only loan, uh, 1.75% per, or 2% per quarter, or how do you do it? Uh, it's just your traditional 20-year uh, amortized okay. uh, 8% interest. Got it. Cool. And that's a decent interest rate on both sides, especially if you're able to get in the way that you were. On the second 
property that you purchased. It was a 16 unit. Tell us more about how you found that. You, how, how did you find that property? And also we'll talk about financing it, underwriting it and financing it. Yeah. So finding the deal, this was a, uh, a tip through my carpet installer actually. So I uh, was renovating one of the units at my four unit and I told my carpet installer, Hey, if you ever know of any properties that are uh, coming up for sale or people you work for that might be interested in selling, would love to talk to them. And he said, you know, I think one of my other clients might be trying to sell his rental. Uh, I think it might be like 16 units or something. And in my mind, I was like, wow, like no way I can do that, but I want to get on the phone with this guy. And at least here. And sure enough, the particular property that it was, when I did my original research in town, I remember pointing to that property and saying, that's what I want to own. That would be fantastic. And, you know, I don't know if it's uh, fate or the vision board thing, um, but that's the property I ended up buying. It's been a fantastic asset for me. And I would say the 16 unit is really what kind of launched my business to the next level where it was no longer just a hobby. A four unit, you can afford everything that goes wrong. Uh, if all the tenants move out, you, you know, unless you're in a, a big city where you're buying a million dollar, $4 million, uh, um, you know, four unit for me, my day job could cover the mortgage could cover everything. But when you buy a 16 unit asset, my day job couldn't. So I needed to make sure that the property stood on its own and then I ran it um, as a business and treated it that way. Uh, you brought up something um, and I want to clarify and make sure that I understand. Are you, have, you had a day job back then for sure. Do you still work at the same place at, with the engineering firm or have you quit? No, I, I quit a long time ago. I only worked for them for about 18 months um, and then... At the time, uh, the girl who I was dating, now my wife, uh, ended up deciding to move down to Indiana where she was from, uh, started a family. So we have a young two and a half year old daughter. Um, but uh, the real estate, the 20 units that I had at the time, afforded me enough cash flow where I was comfortable leaving my day job. And then I picked up uh, some side jobs as a contractor for. Uh, about 10 months when I got down here and I ended up picking up two more rental properties, another 11 units and the cash flow off of the collective 31 units um, supported me and now has allowed my wife to not have to work full time. And, and she's been working part time for the last uh, almost two years now. And, and I've been full time for over two years now, uh, just managing my own portfolio, living off the cash flow. Great. All right. So that 16 unit, how did you underwrite it? Uh, so just like you underwrite any property, whether it's uh, a single family home or whether it's a 400 unit apartment complex, you take a look at your income. What are your units? Get your rent roll. Is there any other income, whether it's laundry or, or storage units, uh, start breaking down your expenses I was very fortunate in this particular case because it was an off market deal. The seller was willing to sit down with me and I uh, got time in his office where, you know, we walked through his past income statements and I'd ask for some receipts on things and he'd provide me with those. It was extremely helpful because it was definitely a slower process for me to be able to work through the underwriting on that and make sure I was comfortable with it. So we probably had about a month or so of 
going through that process of me underwriting and having initial conversations uh, with uh, a few banks in town uh, on that deal before we started to get serious about, hey, let's put a price on this thing and we can we come to an agreement? And as you decided to purchase the property and go to banks, um, how did you decide that you would be able to afford the down payment or uh, get it financed? How did that all come to play? Yeah, so originally when I was looking at the property, um, the seller was very adamant that he was not willing to carry any paper. He was not willing to carry a second position note. So with that said, I tried to go to whoever I knew that had hundred to $130,000 sitting around that we'd need for a down payment on this to see if they'd be willing to partner with me. And everyone who I ended up going to kind of said, ah, that's a nice idea, Joel. The property's interesting. It looks like a decent deal, but you're 22. You only own a four unit for the last, you know, eight months, nine months at that point. Uh, I'm, I'm just gonna wait and maybe in the future we could work together. So I had a number of folks who got decently serious and then ended up backing out. Um, so I eventually had to go back to the seller and say, Hey, I would love to do this deal. Uh, I know you're not willing to carry any paper. I totally understand uh, because I can't find any other investors to partner with me. Uh, respectfully, I'm going to have to say that for now, um, I don't want to waste any more of your time. I'm going to continue to work on this, but I don't want to keep dragging this on because I see the chances are low right now. And about a week later, I got a phone call from him and he said that he and his partner were willing uh, to carry uh, about 15, 16% of the purchase price in a second position note. Very, very cool. So what did that leave... What was left after they um, were able to carry 15 or 16%? You yeah. got the 80. So you have like 4% uh, total. It, is that the 5,000 that you told me in the pre-interview that you put down or is it some other amount? Yeah. So I purchased the property for $685,000. Uh, the bank financed 550000 uh, The sellers carried 110000 in second position, about 16.5%. Uh, after prorations, uh, we ended up, we closed on the first, but we had all of the rent payments for that month paid to the seller. I don't have any bills the first month, really. So from that standpoint, uh, I wasn't too concerned. So that helped reduce how much money I needed down. And then, uh, you know, tax prorations and some other things uh, ended up narrowing it down to about 15000 And I went to uh, Wells Fargo and got a personal loan based off of my income that I had from my day job. So I ended up being uh, about $5,000 down for me to be able to close the deal out of my savings. Awesome. That was, that was fun getting into that. And I understand that later on, one of your properties, you actually use some credit cards. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so was the, that the three unit or the eight unit? Yeah, it's the it's the three units. So. Let's, okay, so this is the third property. So we're perfectly on time. So why don't we get a little bit into that so that those who are listening can can see? Okay, maybe I could use a credit card to buy a multifamily. 
Yeah, and, and, and I'll preface this by saying, well, I'll get into it here. So um, I, after I got done at the 16 unit, uh, kind of three, four months into it, everything was running to plan for the most part. Nothing jumped out from an expense standpoint. Uh, it was pretty smooth sailing. The, a couple of vacancies popped up, had them rented right away. Um, so I had all the confidence in the world at this point, 22 years old, 20 units. I've had like no money down basically to buy these things. They're going smoothly, making a couple thousand bucks a month in cash flow. This is awesome. Living for free since I'm living in one of my units. So I'm like, Hey, let's just keep getting bigger. Let's go find a 30 unit, another 20 unit, maybe a 10 unit and nothing and nothing and nothing. And 18 months goes by and I haven't landed a single other deal. And I'm just frustrated as all heck. Um, in the meantime, I had left my job. I had moved to Indiana. Um, we had a little one on the way. So there was a ton of life changes that happened in the next 18 months. Uh, but still, I didn't have a real estate deal. And this three unit popped up on the MLS in the same town as where I had the four unit and the 16 unit. And it's a small town of 15,000 people. Excuse me. The numbers just made so much sense. Uh, they were asking $69,000 uh, for the three unit, brought in about $2,000 a month in rent, and you had about $800 a month in expenses between taxes, insurance, utilities, maintenance, and you know a little management fee built in. So uh, it cash flowed extremely well during that 18 months. What I elected to do is um, I had a bunch of, you know, interest only for 24 month credit cards that I had ended up applying for and getting. So I lived just like I was in college, um, drove a vehicle that I owned outright. Uh, I, you know, didn't go out to eat lived extremely frugally, well below my means. So basically all of my living expenses, I just said, hey, I'll just live on my credit cards for a while and let my cash build up in my bank account. So I had all this cash that kept building up and I had all these no interest credit cards. I knew that, you know, I had plenty of cash to pay off all the credit cards. But when this three unit came up, um, I was in a position where I could just say, hey, I'll pay cash. So I put in an offer the first day it came on the market for uh, about $55,000. I think it's 56, dollars And were they asking 59 or? 69. 69. So, okay. But I said 50, 56, four, five. Um, I'll close in two weeks. Cash. No financing contingency, nothing. Um, it was a situation where, you know, death in the family, the, you know, the mother had owned this, the kids lived out of state. They've never even seen the property. They didn't know what they had. Um, it has its weird quirks and what have you, but it was actually, a, a, it was a well-structured building. There was nothing, you know, nothing particularly wrong with any of the units. Um, it's just your typical C-class, um, small multifamily property in a small town. So uh, to my surprise, they ended up taking it closed in two weeks. And then what I immediately did is I went to my bank who I've been working with and I put a line of credit, a business line of credit against the assets. So rather than going out and getting a mortgage, which I would have been only able to do uh, at most 80% LTV on the property, 
with a business line of credit, they were willing to go off the appraised value. So I actually ended up going up to about uh, 85% LTV. And the closing costs for that business line of credit were significantly lower than if I went through the mortgage process and we could close faster. So for a number of reasons, I liked the, the route of going with the business line of credit, even though the interest rate was a couple percentage points higher. Um, but what ended up happening is as soon as I closed on the three unit, about two weeks later, an eight unit that I had been following uh, closer to home, South Bend, Indiana, they had a price reduction. And I knew that that price reduction put it in the territory where that deal made enough sense to go look at. And I immediately scheduled an off or a, a tour with the listing broker on that, toured the asset, made an offer on the sidewalk, knew my numbers going into it where I wanted to be. Um, and we were able to get that deal under contract, 80% bank financing, 10% seller second, and the 10% that I would owe, which would end up being less after prorations, I was able to pull that from my line of credit that I had on this three unit that I was just getting set up. So, Okay, so I was thinking you used uh, your credit cards to buy the three units, but you um, it was kind of a combination between the credit cards, the cash that you had saved because using the credit cards and this business line of credit? So the three unit, like I said, basically I lived off of my credit cards and allowed cash to be able to build up. And then that way I would be in a position where I could just pay cash for the asset, even though I had this pretty large uh, credit card balance that was built up um, from a uh, overall personal balance sheet standpoint, still in a very comfortable position. So uh, just if you can give me a bit more detail on that. So you had $55,000 from your credit cards saved up in, in your bank, or you used some of what you got from the credit cards, which is less than 55 plus the um, plus this business line of credit. So again, rather than when I go to the grocery store, swiping my card and then paying it off each month, I just let those credit cards, essentially uh, that balance build up, it was on a 0% interest. So I've given myself a 0% loan during that time. So I probably had about $30,000 in uh, total credit card debt, if you will, over that 18 month period of not being able to find another deal. And then I saved all the dollars, you know, wasn't going out and spending on anything. So, um, Essentially, you could say it was like $25,000 of savings and $30,000 from the credit cards, if, if you want to kind of get specific and, on that. Okay. And so what was the business line of credit? The, was that your refinance after? Correct. That was okay. what I used to refinance. So the okay. business line of credit I set up after I closed on the three unit, and it was, um, uh, it, it was a secured business line of credit secured off of the three unit. So cool. rather than getting a mortgage, I just got a business line of credit. It's much more flexible. Okay. And then you use that business line of credit to um, put your down payment on the eight unit, right? Correct. Yeah. Can you go through some of the numbers on the eight unit? Yeah. So I bought that deal for $345,000 uh, bank financed 80%. So I want to say it's around 270,000. 
the seller carried a second position note, um, which was right around $34,000, if I remember correctly, uh, which would leave about $34,000 for, uh, for myself that I owed. But again, close on the first of the month. So rents, we have them get paid to the seller. So take a little deduction off of there, about 5,000 bucks. And then we have a tax proration, a couple other little things, um, makes it so that way I only owed uh, $22,000 to uh, at the closing table. So of my $44,000 business line of credit that I had set up, I only needed to pull half of it in order to put as a down payment on that eight unit. Ah, this is this is getting fun. It's getting exciting. We have the 15 unit that you did your first syndication and the 107 unit that you did key principal on. Uh, we're going to get into those, but first we'll take a quick break for our sponsors. We'll be right back. Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought you'd be further along financially by now? If so, you're not alone. Many people find themselves wanting to ditch their nine to five, wishing they had more time with their family. What most people want is to simply live the life that they choose and with plenty of money to do so. The good news is you can live an abundant life through apartment investing. Mark and Tamil Kenny with Think Multifamily help you take back the time and freedom so that you can live free from the stresses that burden so many. Through multifamily investing, they teach you how to set your family up for a lifetime of true success and fulfillment. They have helped hundreds of people just like you. Patrick, for example, who since working with Think Multifamily has purchased over 900 units with another 850 under contract. And at 27 years old, was able to quit his demanding job in corporate America. Regardless of your age or profession, Think Multifamily can help you create the life of your dreams. As hosts of the new Think Multifamily podcast, Mark and Tamil will walk you through the journey step-by-step to make sure you are completely set up for success. Through this interview-style podcast, you will gain a proven strategic apartment investing system and hear stories from successful investors, all to help you be light years ahead of those who try to do it alone. Subscribe to the Think Multifamily podcast today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash podcast. All right, Joel, I'm excited to get into these last two deals. Um, so tell me, you had the four unit, then the 16, then the three, then the eight. Um, then what happened when you were, you basically simultaneously closed a 15 and a 107 with some partners, 15 on your own and a 107 with your partners. Just take us back to that day. Um, as, as you were finding these other two deals, how long did it, did it wait? how did you find the deals and what made you feel like it was the right step for you to start getting into syndication? Yeah, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, move the calendar back a little bit to uh, December of 2018. So almost a year ago, uh, I was getting ready where I needed to refinance my 16 unit. The seller note that we had originally set up had a three-year balloon payment. So the goal was that I was going to repay them after three years uh, by refinancing. So working with my bank, getting the appraisals done, figuring out where we're at, um, I knew the property was going well. I mean, certainly with my underwriting and financing degree and, and my work as a program manager, 
um, certainly understood the whole business plan of multifamily and boosting your NOI to get a higher asset value. And it's based off of, you know, your NOI and your cap rate. And, you know, we get that. Um, but until you actually get the appraisal back and you get that letter from the bank that says they're willing to pay back your seller note, uh, you're going to have 20% equity still left in, and they're willing to write you a check for $140,000 then it really hits you and it's like, yep, now I really understand this and the business plan does work. Um, that was, that was a pretty powerful experience if you will. Uh, because to that point I, I had felt like I had was scrounging every penny I could to try and creatively put together a deal. And now I actually had what in my mind was some, you know, real money, $140,000 to be able to go out and buy another asset. So I kind of sat back and said, well, how do I want to do this? Do I just want to go buy another property myself? Maybe I could get creative and buy a 30 or 40 unit myself. There were a couple opportunities uh, right around that time that were hitting the market. But when I looked at my long-term goals, I want to be able to create a lifestyle business that can create generational wealth. It is hard to create generational wealth unless you build up a massive portfolio of small multifamily. The easiest way is if you go buy large multifamily, 100 unit and plus assets, where you have this substantial asset value that you can pay down over decades and be able to have you know, staff that maintain that asset on a daily basis. And from the lifestyle standpoint, allow you as the owner to choose how much you want to work or you know, how hands off you want to be. And I knew that's where I wanted to go. So I said, okay, I can either slowly build up bigger and bigger and bigger, and then eventually try to sell everything off and then jump to the big properties, or I can work with other investors and I can start going after these assets today. I know what it takes to rent an asset. I know what it takes to renovate a property. You name it, I've done it. Um, you know, I've been doing it at this point for almost four years. So um, I said to myself, Let's take the jump and let's start working with other investors and let's utilize a model that allows me to go after assets larger than what I could get myself so that hopefully I can start creating more of that lifestyle business today um, as opposed to having to wait maybe five, six, 10 years down the road before I'd be in a position where I could realistically go after a larger property. So it really came down to first setting my goals and understanding where I wanted to go and where I thought the best path would be. So my 2019 goal was to get a deal done working with other investors. Because again, to this point, I had only bought properties myself as the only owner. So I had lost out on a couple of smaller deals, 48 units, um, larger than what I'd been doing. But uh, lost out on best and final knows that was pretty discouraging um, uh, ended up getting an offer from uh, a good friend of mine who I'd been uh, talking with for quite a while. We had been underwriting deals back and forth with each other. Um, he was going to be closing a 107 unit deal down in Louisville uh, and was looking to be able to bring a team together to be able to close the financing and raise the capital and uh, be able to put all the components together necessary to be able to tackle that deal. And he asked if I'd be willing to uh, come on as a key principal. 
uh, to this point, I had been able to build up uh, a nice amount of equity in my assets, given how much rents have been able to increase with the work that I had done over the last four years. So from a balance sheet standpoint and experience, um, I was able to provide um, some work, uh, if you will, uh, as a key principal uh, on the resume. So ended up getting an offer there to come on board and was really excited. Obviously, have the goal of being able to get into those larger assets as a sponsor myself. So being able to come on as a key principal was a great opportunity to learn his process and uh, to work with their team during the due diligence phase to make sure that I was comfortable with how everything was being put together. Um, phenomenal experience. And then right as we were going through the due diligence, a broker ended up passing on a deal to me for a 15 unit townhome property close to where I live. It was a much smaller deal than I was hoping to do. But when I looked at the numbers and I looked at the market, I saw that there was a great opportunity. Rents are uh, average on that property about 820 a month. They should be uh, just over a thousand, kind of a thousand to 1100 as is without renovations. So you had significant uh, uh, delta there that I knew if I went in and simply worked on raising rents and as units turn, we're able to get those up to the higher rate. Um, there's a huge boost to the NOI on that asset. And given it's a townhome property, it's about the lowest expense ratio property you can possibly have. It's as close to a single family as you can get. Tenants are responsible for snow plowing, for trash, for all their utilities, for lawn care, you know, you name it, they take care of it. So from an expense ratio, it, it, it worked out well, even though from a price per unit, it was kind of a shocker for me based on what I'd been doing. But uh, again, it's making sure you're sticking with your process and your underwriting and um, focusing on those numbers. So uh, ended up deciding that, hey, I'll syndicate this deal. I had a number of investors ready to work with me. So we ended up going through the process. Figured it's a great exercise, certainly a property I'm comfortable with. I'll go through the whole process of syndication. Um, we're already, uh, we closed that in August and already paying out distributions to our investors. So uh, hopefully on track to be able to hit eight, 9% cash on cash return for them for the first year, which I'm pretty excited about. So uh, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty good property. And, uh, we're off and running this year, hit the 2019 goals and ready to step up big for 2020. Awesome stuff. Um, thank you for going into that. As far as the 15 unit, you got 140,000 from, uh, from refinancing the 16. Um, did you put all of that down? Did you put some of that down? What did that look like? I, I, so the purchase price for the 15 unit was uh, 1.265 million. And we are able to get a community bank to uh, lend 80% LTV on the asset. And that ended up after, you know, making sure we have reserves and what have you, about $280,000 is what we needed to be able to get the deal closed after all costs. I ended up bringing $100,000 to the deal and $180,000 uh, was brought in from uh, my other investors. And then that 107, did you put any money into that one or did you just have to sign on the loan? 
Uh, that property, I'm purely coming in as a KP. I did not have to uh, commit capital. I was ready to certainly believe in the project and the operator. Um, they had uh, filled up their capital stack, though, so uh, there wasn't any room for me to get involved, but that's okay. There'll be another deal that we'll work together on. Great. Uh, last, last thing is when we um, started our conversation today, you had just gotten off the phone. You were looking at some other deals and they were even bigger than this 107 unit. Can you go into some, uh, what are you thinking right now? Like what's happening now? What's your next step? Um, what do you think you'll close uh, next? Yeah, so my 2020 goal is to close at least one property over 100 units. So I, I really am kind of exclusively in the 80 to 100 units and up properties that can support on-site maintenance and leasing staff. 80 to 100 units is at least in our markets is pretty much the threshold where you can get uh, one leasing staff and one maintenance staff uh, to be on-site full-time. So I'm focused on those assets right now. What I've been trying to do particularly over the last three to four months, but really more broadly over the last six months, is I've tried to go out and network with other folks, going to conferences, getting on phone calls, getting in, involved in social media groups, uh, you know, much like yourself, and meeting people, getting on the phone, and trying to find out who is able to bring things to the table that I might not necessarily be able to bring whether that's a stronger investor network, whether that's net worth um, and kind of creating a short list of maybe four to six people who I could go to when I find an interesting opportunity and be able to say, Hey, here's why I like this deal. Are you interested in working with me as a co-sponsor to be able to tackle this asset? So as you mentioned, you know, I'm working on a 200 plus unit property right now that we're underwriting and actively going after. I uh, lost out best and final on a 400 plus unit asset um, just a month ago. So I have some, you know, really exciting partners that I'm really looking forward to working with. Just, uh, just a numbers game here. We just got to be active, uh, got to push hard, continue to build uh, broker relationships so we can get better deal flow. And uh, hopefully in 2020, we'll be able to make, make something bigger happen. But uh, no deal is better than a bad deal. So more than happy being patient here and um, just making sure that when we pull the trigger and can get something under contract, that's something that I believe in and that I know is going to be a good asset for myself, for my family, and for all the investors and partners that end up coming along for the ride. I have, um, I was wondering, do you have time for like two more questions? Absolutely. Okay, first question. There's something that you mentioned right before we got started recording today that I want you to share with the listener because I think it's going to be really valuable. It's what you've learned through the last five years uh, managing all of these different units. And um, it's your three-step process to making sure that you're going to be making money on these deals. So first question, I want you to talk about that three-step process. And then after that, I want to make sure that you let the listeners know exactly how they could find you or get a hold of you. So number one, what is the three-step process that everybody's dying to hear? Yeah, so the, the first step is always fill units. Um, the one thing that uh, always kills me when I go look at a property, find out that they've had a unit that was vacant and it had damage and the owner didn't have the budget to be able to go and renovate it because they're trying to run it so lean. 
but then I find out that unit's been vacant for two years. And oh, by the way, another unit went down because uh, they couldn't afford the appliances or what have you, or an AC went out. Well, whatever you have to do, invest the dollars necessary to get that unit online, even if it's not in the pristine condition that you'd like it to be, make sure that the mechanical systems and that it's in livable condition to be able to get it rented at the very least. So fill units is the most important thing. Um, don't let your vacancy drop too low. It's, it's, that's what kills deals. Um, the next thing is focus on your highest ROI projects. So invest dollars into your highest ROI items um, and get creative with it. You know, if you think a flooring package is going to be very impactful, maybe you don't have to do a flooring package through the entire unit. Maybe it's just in the kitchen and the bathroom. Maybe it's in the kitchen, dining room, living room. But really focus on saying, you know, frankly, what's the least amount of work that we have to do from an investment standpoint to get the highest amount of return and go tackle those projects first and then start going down your list as your budget allows. But if you try to do too much too quick, Inevitably, some of those projects are not going to have the most impact and it's going to end up killing your budget and putting you in a really tight position where you may end up hitting that red line and, and potentially being put in a tough position um, because you got to be ready when some big important thing comes up that you have enough capital to be able to tackle that. Uh, the last thing is de-risk your asset. So, uh, that might be large trees that are hanging over your parking area and your property that have signs of rot and disease. That could be a huge dollar item, but at the same time, if that falls on your asset, you could be in a huge world of hurt from a liability standpoint, from lost rents, dealing with insurance claims. Um, that's a huge headache. And certainly from a turn on time standpoint, it's never good to have to deal with an insurance company. Uh, might be preventing flooding issues. That's one of the things that I've had to do is I've had to invest dollars recently in some of the properties I've owned for four years now in let's prevent future flooding problems or let's expand the area for snow removal um, because it's a hazard. And oh, by the way, it's also expensive when I have to hire loaders to come in and be able to move huge snow piles out of the property because we've simply run out of space. Um, so de-risking the asset is uh, kind of the last thing there. And really, I'll just call that mostly around deferred maintenance. You know, don't let your siding, your windows, your roofs, um, everything all go at the same time. Make sure that you're planning for those big ticket items that may not necessarily have an impact on your NOI, but could really hurt you from an operational standpoint to be able to weather the storm long term. Okay, so the three-step process for the listener is, again, start by going and getting your units rented. And then once all of the units are filled and you've done what you've needed to do, you're not uh, putting a ton of work in just the work that you need to do to at least start getting the income. And then you start focusing on whatever's the highest return on investment. And so what can you do? That's a, that's the lowest amount of work that's going to start giving you a higher amount of income. And then once you've done those two things, the third step would be to reduce your risk, get rid of some trees and things like that. 
I love it. Thank you so much. You've added a lot of value coming on the show, going through your story. It's been very inspiring. This is the Creative Real Estate Podcast, and you've done quite a bit of interesting and creative things using credit cards and business lines of credit against properties instead of a traditional mortgage and uh, partnering with family and going into syndications and getting into one of your first syndications as a key principal, signing on the loan. Everything that you've done is just so cool. Uh, there's been a lot of your deals that you haven't had to put money of your own in. And uh, those times where you've had to put money in, it hasn't had to be a, a whole ton of it. And I just, I just think it's very inspiring story. And I appreciate you coming on and talking to us and sharing your story with us. If the listener resonates with you, wants to work with you, wants to pick your brain, how do they find you? What's the single best way that they can get a hold of you? Joel at jfhcapital.com. Go to my website, jfhcapital.com, or uh, give me a phone call, 906-458-8356. Perfect. Joel, um, you're... Your website is in the show notes right now and as well as your email. And do you want me to put that phone number in the, in the show notes? Sure, go ahead. Now your, your phone number is in the show notes as well. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate your time. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box. Thanks for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. If you got value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Until next time, think outside the box.